Thank you very much to this class for asking me to speak this evening. Um, it's a great honor, and I want to begin by asking you a question. And I want you to think about this. Okay, this is a verse from the Psalms, and I'm not going to complete the verse, but uh, this will be our theme, and hopefully we come to a conclusion here at the end. And so David says, I have asked the Lord for one thing, and one thing only do I want. And now right now, I know you're focused in on many immediate things, like surviving the test next week, or just you know, getting through uh, what's going on here in the next two weeks. But uh, in a bigger picture sense, what would be the one thing? What is the one thing? And let's go through and mention some one things that are very important things for many people. Uh, would this be the one thing? Wealth and power. And aren't physicians often known for striving after wealth and power? Is this the one thing? Well, who could we turn to in the Bible who had a great deal of wealth and power? And I thought of Solomon, and this was how he put it together after achieving all the wealth and power that one could possibly achieve. And he said, I accomplished great things. I built myself houses and planted vineyards. I planted gardens and orchards with all kinds of fruit trees in them. I dug ponds to irrigate them. I bought many slaves, and there were slaves born in my household. I owned more livestock than anyone else who had ever lived in Jerusalem. I also piled up silver and gold from the royal treasuries of the lands I ruled. I really had it all. Men and women sang to entertain me, and I had all the women a man could want. What was it, 700 wives, 300 concubines? Yes, I was great, greater than anyone else who had ever lived in Jerusalem, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I got. I did not deny myself any pleasure. I was proud of everything I had worked for, and all this was my reward. Then I thought about all that I had done and how hard I had worked doing it, and I realized that it didn't mean a thing. It was like chasing the wind of no use at all. And he concludes later on here in Ecclesiastes, if you love money, you will never be satisfied. If you long to be rich, you will never get all you want. It is useless. The richer you are, the more mouths you'll have to feed. All you gain is the knowledge that you are rich. All right? So this would not seem to be the one thing. All right, so let's move through some other uh, possibilities here. All right, now these are some many good things. All right, devoting yourself to church and worship. Uh, I mean, what could be more positive than that? But uh, this next verse here in Isaiah, now this is the message version, so this is really uh, hard-hitting, but read this in any version. It is very powerful. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 and this is not one of them, but I can't stand <laughs> one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. And this is God talking here. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer for performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or how loud or how often you pray, I'll not be listening. That would be hard to hear, wouldn't it? Especially from God. And then in Amos, I, the Lord, hate and despise your religious celebrations and your times of worship. I won't accept your offerings or animal sacrifices, not even the very best. No more of your noisy songs. I won't listen when you play your harps. Okay, now this is not saying anything against church and worship services, but it is not the one thing. Okay, what else? All right, generous giving and tithing. Very noble thing to do. But Jesus met up with some people who were very uh, generous givers and tithers, and he had this to say to them. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees. Frauds, 
You keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get. But on the meat of God's law, things like fairness and compassion and commitment, the absolute basics, you carelessly take it or leave it. All right, so another good thing that could be done, but it would not appear to be the one thing. Okay, Bible study. Okay, how could we go wrong here? Devoting ourselves to the study of the scripture. I mean, this is, uh, for me, has become uh, an extremely important thing. But Jesus, again, met some people that were very serious. And he said, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life. But you miss the forest from the trees. These scriptures are all about me. All right. This school is about mission and outreach. Okay, and I know many of you are going on some incredible mission and outreach programs, and uh, it is fantastic. But uh, these words to people who are on mission and outreach projects. You sail the seas and cross whole countries to win one convert, and when you succeed, you make him twice as deserving of going to hell as you yourselves are. Um, again, very, very hard words. But the point is, this is not the one thing. It's a good thing, but it's not the one thing. And this next verse uh, is almost too painful to read, um, but I will. <laughs> All right, then the Jews, and this is very serious, since it was the day of Sabbath preparation, and so the bodies wouldn't stay on the crosses over the Sabbath, it was a high holy day that year, petitioned Pilate that their legs be broken to speed death and the bodies taken down. And so we have here some very devout people who in their earnest desire to keep the Sabbath actually tried to hasten the death of God in the flesh to go home and worship God, not realizing that they had just crucified him. I mean, this is really insane. All right, so what's the point of all this? It is not to put down any of these uh, wonderful and good things that could be done, but it's to say we could be doing all of these things, but if we do them for the wrong reasons, uh, we can actually be God's enemies in the process. All right, so the question, what then is most important? And I think Jesus, very, very end of his life on earth, summed it up best. And he said, this is eternal life. And we know what eternal life is, right? It's living forever. Um, but notice he gives a definition of eternal life that has to do with the quality and not the duration. This is eternal life. To know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And um, these words here in the Bible, to know all the way through, is a consistent meaning. Adam knew Eve, and they didn't shake hands and become acquainted. Adam knew Eve, and they had a son. To know is to know intimately, closely, as a friend. And this is the meaning of to know, to know God. It is an intimate kind of relationship. And so all through the Bible, we see this coming through. Uh, where God has to say very sadly to his people, just as they're going off to um, Assyrian captivity, he says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. What knowledge? Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Okay, knowledge of what? Math, physics, neuroscience? No. And we look at here in another version. My people are being destroyed. Why? Because they don't know me. Okay, this is what it's all about. And so Jesus three times told a parable about the second coming. And to those not fit to enter the kingdom, he said, go away, I never knew you. All right, this sounds kind of impersonal. What, he doesn't know them? Doesn't he know every hair on their heads? But the point here, again, to know is you don't know me. We are not intimate. We don't have this uh, kind of relationship. 
And so don't you think, by contrast, what we say to those who enter the kingdom? Um, enter in. You were very faithful in church attendance. Or you were very faithful in reading the Bible. Won't it be, enter in, I know you. You know me. We're intimate. We're friends. And let's spend eternity together. And I think this is what it's all about. So, uh, again and again, description of the new earth here in Isaiah. On Zion, God's sacred hill, there will be nothing harmful or evil. The land will be as full of knowledge of the Lord as the seas are full of water. And not, not a detached, impersonal knowledge, but a relational, personal, intimate knowledge of God and his character. And in First John, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Why did he come? So that we know the true God. We live in union with the true God, in union with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. And this is eternal life. And there it is. Again, the relationship between knowing God and eternal life. Okay, eternal life is the quality. Uh, that is the, the point. And then Paul finally, I think, sums it up uh, best here. What is the one thing? I once thought of all these things, all these things we're talking about, uh, that they were so important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage. I mean, this is really sounding like this is the one thing, right? So that I may have Christ and become one with him. Same thing. Uh, intimacy, friendship. And so when Jesus says, I don't want to call you servants anymore, I want to call you friends, he is inviting us into this very special uh, kind of relationship. And so... I guess we kind of have to ask an obvious question here. Because if this is the one thing, is it a desirable one thing? And I think for many people, deep down, it is, it is really not a desirable one thing. And let me just give you a few examples. Uh, would you agree with Job's friend who said, I won't ask to speak with God. Why should I give him a chance to destroy me? God's power is so great that we cannot come near him. Okay, so on the one hand, come to me. Let's be friends, and here a picture is, boy, we can't come near God. He'll destroy us. Or what about uh, Jesus, who told a parable about uh, three people who had talents, and you remember two of them put it to good use, they gained interest, they gained a profit, and one of them buried it in the ground. And when the master, representing God, came back, okay, what did the servant say? He said, sir, I know you are a hard man, I was afraid. Okay, do we believe God to be a hard man? Are we afraid of God? And if so, we are not going to enter into a close relationship. And very end of the Bible, we get a list here of horrible things. People that are excluded from the kingdom. And notice the list. Cowards, traitors, perverts, murderers, the immoral, those who practice magic, those who worship idols, and all liars. All right, it's a bad list. But what's number one? Cowards. Now, must you all be very, very brave? to enter the kingdom, or isn't the point, if we're afraid of God, then it shows we don't know God. God is love, uh, love casts out all fear, and so I think that's the point there. Uh, there's nothing to be afraid of, and Jesus revealed that. And I think that's why, for a Christian, uh, Jesus is everything, because he came to reveal God, the character of God, that we may know him, and that fear of God disappears. And so... Um, Again, the point of Jesus' coming, he reflects the brightness of God's glory. Now, was Jesus bright? Or would not the brightness be here and the glory be he revealed the character of God? 
and he is the exact likeness of God's own being. And so Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you like me? Are you comfortable with me? Then you'll be perfectly comfortable with the Father. And he said, I've shown your glory on earth. And again, that wasn't a brightness or an overwhelming power. It was, I have revealed your character on earth, and I have finished the work you gave me to do. What was the work of Jesus? And he goes on, I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. Do we like Jesus? Do we like the character of Jesus? Uh, That was God that we were looking at. And so Jesus, God in the flesh, um, and I will just summarize here with a few points. His words. Learn from me, because I, though I am God, am gentle and humble in spirit. Now, in your picture of God is gentleness and humility, a part of that picture. Is God really gentle and humble? Well, if Jesus was God, then God is gentle and humble. And what about uh, when he talked with the woman caught in adultery? I do not condemn you. And we begin to piece this together, and we realize that the God who is gentle and humble does not condemn us. And we see that again at the cross. Hanging there, he did not condemn those people. He forgave them, and that is God. And his actions, okay, we can summarize these here in the Old Testament. Uh, He will not shout or raise his voice or make loud speeches in the streets. He will not break off a bent reed nor put out a flickering lamp. He didn't come to intimidate with power. He was treated harshly, but endured it humbly. He never said a word. And even in the triumphal entry, he comes triumphant and victorious, but humble and riding on a donkey. And I really like this one. Uh, way back in Deuteronomy, we have the prophet, the prophecy about the coming Messiah. And it is, I will send them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their own people. Now, what's the one character trait we have about Moses in the Bible? In Numbers, Moses was a humble man, more humble than anyone else on earth. And I like this because who wrote Numbers? Moses. And so uh, Moses writes about himself here. I'm the most humble guy in the whole world. But um, this was not something to be proud of. Well, proud. This was not something that you would brag about back then. Humility, uh, this was not necessarily a desirable trait of character. But that is the character of God. And so, uh, obviously, uh, we can't go through the whole life of Jesus here. And in John, he just concludes by saying he did so much. If I were to write it all down, all the books in the world uh, couldn't fill it. But I want to conclude uh, with a verse here. And um, as I put this up, try to detach yourself from maybe how you know this verse finishes off. And just, just what would you anticipate? Okay, Jesus knew that the Father had given him complete power. He knew that he had come from God and was going to God, and so he did something. Now, if I stood up here and said, uh, God has given me complete power, um, how would you feel? You know, wouldn't some of you be smart to head for the exits, right? Because could I be trusted with all that power? Okay, what does God do with all that power? So he rose from the table, took off his outer garment, and tied a towel around his waist, And he knelt down and he washed dirty feet. Okay, God in acknowledgement of complete power, and this is how he uses it. And it gets even better than that, because how many pairs of feet did he wash? Eleven? Twelve? Did he not wash the feet of Judas? And, uh, you know, just imagine, how do you think he washed the feet of Judas? 
did he squeeze extra hard to the point of pain? Or um, don't you think he perhaps spent the most time washing the feet of Judas? You know, because Judas was his child, and I think he was very sad that he was losing his child. And it just keeps getting better because Judas left, and since Judas was in charge of the money bag, some of the disciples thought that Jesus had told him to go and buy what they needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And can you imagine the betrayer here leaving the upper room and many of the disciples under the impression, well, maybe he's going to give something to the poor. And why didn't Jesus expose him? And that's just the way God is. He didn't humiliate even his betrayer. And so the crucifixion, of course, he cares for his mother, he forgives the people, and the thief hanging there on the cross next to him, um, seeing the sign above him, King of the Jews, must have just thought, uh, boy, if this guy is a king, I would really like to be a subject in his kingdom. And we know uh, Jesus' gracious response. And so, even after the resurrection, now we might expect some power, some brightness, overwhelming. But instead, here we have... Uh, you know, not a royal reception of the most honored men on earth, but uh, Mary Magdalene, not the woman with the best reputation. She welcomes him after the resurrection. And in her tears, she thought he was the gardener. And imagine God condescending, even after the resurrection, to be confused with a gardener. And so I think the picture of God comes through again and again and again in the life of Jesus. And so the conclusion is, God is just like that. And if you like that God is just like that, then entering into this uh, at-one-ment, this relationship, this friendship, becomes a very desirable thing. And so uh, this verse uh, that I began with here, the one thing, let's finish it off now, from Psalms 27. I have asked the Lord for one thing, one thing only do I want, to live in the Lord's house all my life and to marvel there at his goodness, his character, and in the God's Words uh, version, this I will seek, to remain in the Lord's house all the days of my life in order to gaze at the Lord's beauty. And what would that be? His nose, his eyes, would it not be the beauty of the kind of person he is, the beauty of his character? And so, as I was trying to decide what to talk about uh, tonight, and should I talk about how you relate with patience, and it just seemed to me that there is a great underlying um, thing that needs to be there if you'll have something to give as you're dealing with patients and nurses, and I think this is uh, the one thing. Uh, let's pray. Dear Father, how much there is to admire about you, and what good news it is that though in possession of infinite power, and how easily you could use that power to overwhelm and intimidate us, but rather you seek to win us through the revelation of your great love and kindness. And may these students at this time, this very important time, desire more than anything else to know you intimately as, an, as a friend. And may they reveal the kind of person you are by the loving and kind way they treat others. Amen.